0: Today's passage comes from Exodus 16, verses 1 through 7 and 13 through 15. They set out from Elam, and all the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the fifteenth day of the second month after they had departed from the land of Egypt. And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you. And the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day that I may test them, whether they will walk in my law or not. On the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily." So Moses and Aaron said to all the people of Israel, "'At evening you shall know that it was the Lord "'who brought you out of the land of Egypt. "'And in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord, "'because he has heard your grumbling against the Lord. "'For what are we that you grumble against us?' "'In the evening quail came up and covered the camp, "'and in the morning dew lay around the camp. "'And when the dew had gone up, "'there was on the face of the wilderness "'a fine flake-like thing, fine as frost on the ground.' When the people of Israel saw it, they said to one another, What is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, It is the bread that the Lord has given to you to eat.
1: Well, if you have been following along with us in our study of the book of Exodus, then I hope by now you realize that these stories that we're looking at week by week are not just stories about Moses and the Israelites, but they're also stories about Jesus and us. They're little bits of a big picture. And if you look at the big picture for a second, Uh, you'll realize that that is in fact the case. So what is the story of the exodus in the big picture? I've rehearsed this, but not for a while. It's the story of how God, through a deliverer named Moses, delivered his people, the Israelites, from bondage and slavery to Pharaoh in the land of Egypt. Then he led them faithfully through a wilderness, and then he gave to them a promised land. Well, if you're a believer in Jesus, big picture, that's your story too. Your story is that there is a God and he created you. And he created you to live for him, which is the most dignified and purpose that you could have ever had. Your story is that just like everybody else, myself included, in fact, maybe me first and foremost, you haven't done it. But that God has not abandoned you. That God has not forsaken you. That God is nevertheless faithful to you. And how has he shown that faithfulness? By sending to you and to me a deliverer. And what does he deliver us from, this Jesus? He delivers us from sin. He delivers us in the end from death. He delivers us from despair. He delivers us from hopelessness. He delivers us from purposelessness. He delivers us from everything that we long to be delivered from. And he leads us through the wilderness of this life. And what is our eternal end? It's an eternal promised land. It's a place of abundance. It's a place that will not be anything like the wilderness. It's amazing. And as we've traveled through this story, the book of Exodus, and we've seen a pretty good amount of it by this point, we've seen a lot of these correspondences between Moses and Jesus, and consequently then between the Israelites and us. And so we've seen, for example, how Moses is born a Jewish slave in the land of Egypt, and how Jesus, when you flip over to the New Testament, yeah, is born a Jewish slave in the land of Palestine. How Pharaoh, king of Egypt, at the time of the birth of Moses, out of fear for his throne, did what? He decreed that every male Israelite child, two years of age and under, be put to death. And when you flip to the New Testament, what does Herod, king of Palestine, do at the time of the birth of Jesus? He declares that every male Israelite child in the city of Bethlehem, two and under, be put to death. And as you compare the stories, you realize that that really wasn't plan A for either one of these kings. So plan A for Pharaoh was he called in all the Hebrew midwives, all these heroic women who delivered the babies in Israel. And he said, okay, so here's the deal. If it's a boy, you kill the child. If it's a girl, you let the child live. And because these amazing ladies feared God more than Pharaoh, they disobeyed the king and subverted his plan. Well, you know the Christmas story. You flip over to the New Testament and you see the Magi, and they follow the star to the city of Bethlehem, looking for the one born a king of the Jews. Well, that is not Herod, King of Palestine; he 's the one appointed a king of the Jews. So he knows they 're not talking about him, and what does he do? He says, "You know what, guys, go find him, follow your star, you know, and, and when you find where he's at, let me know so that I can come worship him too, with my dagger and spear, and I 'll bring a sword just in case I need that." And, In other words, so that I can put him to death and out of fear for God, they feared God more than the king. They disobey the king. They subvert his plan. Moses fled from Egypt in fear of Pharaoh. Jesus and his family fled to Egypt, ironically, in fear of Herod. Both returned after hearing the exact same message, which is that those who sought your life are now dead. Both came doing miracles, evidencing the fact that they were sent by God and both came to deliver their people. One from Pharaoh and Egypt, and the other from so many things that are so much more significant. And today as we come to this story about bread from heaven, we see another one of these correspondences because as you just saw, or as you just heard, um, we come to the story of how God through Moses sustains the physical life of his people, how? By providing this miraculous bread that just showed up every morning. And the, the, the word manna literally means, what is it? Not a very original name, right? So like they get up and they see it and they're like, what is it? I don't know. What do you think it is? I don't know. What is it? I don't know. You know, so we just called it that for 40 years apparently. But they get, God gives to them this miraculous bread that shows up every morning. But if you try to keep it overnight, It rots. And by that bread, that daily bread, God sustains the life of his people out in the wilderness. And if you're following along, you're still kind of with me. If you've seen all of these different correspondences, then I think that what that ought to do at least is inspire what is a really significant question. And what is that question? I think the question is, okay, so Tom, here's the deal. If that's the kind of bread that God through Moses gave to his people in the wilderness, and it's not just a story about them, well, then what kind of bread does God through Jesus, the far greater Moses, offer to me today? And for the answer to that, what do you have to do? You have to turn from the story of Exodus all the way to the New Testament, in this case, to find the corresponding story in John chapter 6, where you see Jesus, and he's followed out into the wilderness by a multitude. Sounds familiar? And then the multitude gets hungry. Also sounds familiar. And then they kind of get a little bit edgy, and the disciples get a little nervous about it. Also sounds familiar. And what does Jesus do? He says, hey, you know what, guys? Don't worry about it. Just camp out here tonight. And in the morning, there's going to be bread all over the ground, and you can collect it up. But don't try to keep it overnight because then it's going to rot. It's not what he does because he's greater than Moses. Moses didn't give the people from his own hands the bread. He just said, guys, the bread's coming and God's going to give it. Jesus is God. And so he takes the bread and he from his own hands multiplies it and he feeds over 20,000 people. It's amazing. But here's the problem with the literal physical breads of this world. The problem is that they don't last. And so what happens then is he feeds these guys, he sends them away full. They wake up the next day, they're hungry. And as we'll see in a minute, they come back looking again for Jesus, which incidentally gives Jesus the opportunity to tell them and to tell me and to tell you about a bread that actually lasts far more significant than any of the physical breads of this world, and as I thought about that, I realized that that means, if you think about it, as painful as this is for us at times, that the failures of the physical breads of this world to actually satisfy our appetites is a good thing, if at the same time it leads us to Jesus. And I've experienced that. I suspect many of you have experienced that. I see that all the time. You know, we're we're hurt and we hunger for healing. We're depressed and we hunger for joy. We're anxious and we hunger for peace. We feel worthless and we hunger for value. We're lonely and we hunger for love. We're weak and we hunger for strength. We're confused and we hunger for wisdom. And you know what? None of the breads of this world seem to be working. And meanwhile, Jesus is going, hey, um, right over here, just I know that this is painful, but it's actually a good kind of pain if, if what it does is it brings you to me. Because I have a different kind of bread for you guys. And so Jesus in John 6 feeds these hungry people. He sends them away full. They wake up the next day hungry. And so what do you think they come looking for? Lunch, right? I mean, they're looking for more food. And so, so they get up and they're thinking, well, you know, I mean, he gave us a sandwich yesterday. So then they go out and they try to find Jesus in the same location that he was. And he's not there because he has crossed the Sea of Galilee. And so now these guys in the Middle Eastern heat, walk up the east side of the Sea of Galilee and over to the city of Capernaum looking for Jesus, God made man in the flesh to get another sandwich. Because that's as big as their faith was. I'm coming to God for a sandwich. You know, like Jesus, did you get my order? I I called it in. I, you know, I sent it in online and no mayonnaise, right? Because I hate mayonnaise and it's kind of puny, isn't it? He has so much more to give. So we read this in John 6, beginning in verse 25. It says that when this hungry crowd found Jesus on the other side of the sea of Galilee from the side that he had fed them on the previous day, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? They're a little miffed. Why did you come here? Or when did you come here? Because we just had to walk all the way around. You know how long that is? I mean, it's really irritating. It's kind of hot to get to you. And now listen to Jesus' response because it's revealing. It's unmasking. He says, you know what? Let's just get right to it, okay? Let's get to why you're actually here. Jesus answered them and he said, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, not because you watched me do this amazing miracle where I multiplied miraculously bread and I did it with my own hands and gave it out as only God could do. And therefore, then you figured out who I actually am, that I am not just a regular guy, but I am God made man come into this world to feed you in a way that nothing in this world can feed you. That's not why you're here, guys. You're here because you want another sandwich. You're here because you ate your fill of the loaves yesterday and now you're hungry again today and you're secretly hoping that by walking all the way up the east side of, of the Sea of Galilee and coming around to the northwestern corner where the city of Capernaum is located, you'll somehow obligate me to you know, give you more actual, literal, physical bread. And I think that that raises another really important question. And the question is, you know, why did I come looking for Jesus this morning? Why did you come looking for Jesus this morning? Why did we do it really? You know, did we come kind of maybe secretly, I don't know, sort of, I don't know that I'd want to admit this, but kind of, kind of, sort of hoping that maybe, you know, as a result of my efforts and, and as a result of the sacrifice of, of my time or maybe of my money or, or maybe of my prayers or maybe of my praise, I mean, that somehow I might therefore then obligate Jesus to do something for me that I really want Him to do for me. And Lord, this is the kind of physical bread of this world that I need in this moment give it to me. Good grief, I parked across Federal Highway. You know, I mean, that's a long way. I I, I mean, we have a police officer there, and and don't play Frogger, okay, so be careful crossing. But but like, you know, come on. Come on. Why did you come looking for Jesus this morning? And, And maybe you're sitting there thinking, I did not come looking for Jesus this morning. That's not why I'm here. I'm here because of guilt. I'm here based on coercion, you know? And I have attended lots of church services under coercion. I I understand that. I grew up going to a lot of them. I get it. So let me modify the question for you. It's the same question, just ask differently, okay? If Jesus really exists, and if Jesus is really God what would you want him to do for you? What would you want him to give to you? What appetite would you want him to satisfy with some form perhaps of physical bread in this world? It's the same question, just asked a different way. And so then for everybody, I ask this, will you leave disappointed if instead of giving you what, if you were honest, you really want him to give you, he gives you himself instead? Will you leave disappointed If instead of getting what you want, you get him. Because that's what he offers. And it's what he begins to offer to these guys in this story in verse 27 when he says, do not labor for the food that perishes, that is to say that rots at the end of the day, or maybe that just rots at the end of our lives. The ends are coming either way but labor for the food that endures to eternal life, which the son of man, who is Jesus himself, will do what? He will give it to you free of charge. He's earned it. He'll give it. It's a gift for on him, God, the father has set his seal of approval is the idea. And, and what he's not saying here is, hey, you know what? Quit your job. It's not that big of a deal. Don't worry about providing for your family. It's not it. Jesus understands the practical necessities of life. My goodness, the previous day in this story, he miraculously fed with the bread of this world like 20,000 people. But what he's saying is there's a greater kind of bread that leads to a greater kind of life. It's a bread that endures forever. It's very different. And only I, Jesus, can give it to you. And so in verse 28, it says, And this crowd said to Jesus, Well, all right. You're talking about this bread, so what must we do to be doing the works of God, presumably therefore then to earn the bread? Because here's the deal, Jesus, we have to earn our bread. (laughs) In every other arena of life, we work, we get. We don't work, we don't get. So then, what do you have to do to get that bread? And Jesus answered them and he said, this is the work of God. So all that you have to do to get this bread is to believe in him whom God has sent. He's saying, I came into the world to do a work, and it's the work of your salvation. It's the work of a perfectly devoted life to the Father that nobody else has ever lived, laid down as a substitute for all of our imperfect lives. For everyone who claims it, he's like, listen, man, come get the bread. The bread, as he'll say in a moment, is me. Jesus says, this is the work of God, and all you have to do is to believe in him whom God has sent. But now notice what they say. They say to Jesus, well, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? And then they tie this story directly to the story in Exodus where we're at. They say, our fathers, you know, the the fathers who were out in the wilderness with Moses, ate the manna in the wilderness under the leadership of Moses. As it is written, he, meaning Moses, gave them bread from heaven to eat. So they understand that Jesus is offering them some kind of a bread that excels the bread of Moses. And what they're saying is, so then you need to prove to us that actually you excel Moses. So you're going to give us a greater bread, but how do we know that you're actually greater than him? And yet, don't they know that? Don't we know that? We've seen enough of the story of the Exodus and clearly they're familiar with it. All of these different stories. My goodness, in the story of the Exodus, God comes down and he meets with Moses in a burning thorn bush. In my story and yours, God comes down in the person of Jesus Christ and he wears a crown of thorns and he endures the fiery judgment of the cross. Why? Because he deserved judgment? No, because I did. <laughs> he takes it in our place. That's the idea. In the story of the Exodus, Moses turns the waters of Egypt into blood. It's an emblem of death and of judgment. In the story of Christ, the very first miracle that he works is turning water into wine. What is that an emblem of? It's an emblem of joy, it's an emblem of fellowship. It's an emblem of friendship and fullness. Moses brought death to the firstborn son of Pharaoh in order to free God's people from Pharaoh. Jesus is the only begotten son of the Father. And he took death upon himself in order to free us. God, through Moses, led his people out of Egypt with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. We've heard all this. We've read all this. We've studied all this. God, in the person of Jesus Christ, stretched out his hands and arms and allowed them to be pinned to a Roman cross where he suffered and died, that he might claim us, that he might embrace us, that he might forgive us, that he might bring us into his own family. And then, of course, we've got this story of bread that we're at today, where Moses feeds the people this bread called manna. So what is it? I don't know. What do you think it is? I don't know. What is it? You know, an unoriginal name, but it sustains them physically. In other words, it delays death, but it doesn't defeat it. Jesus, however, is the bread of life who brings eternal life to all those who in faith take him in. It's remarkable. And if you think about the image of bread, you realize, my goodness, what a fitting image bread is. And why is that? Because how is bread made? Just compare it to the sufferings of Jesus. Bread, first of all, is wheat, right? That's cut off from its life source. And then what do you do with the husks of wheat? You beat them to loosen up the kernels. From the husks. And then what do they do with it? They winnow it. Okay, so practically speaking, they throw it up into the air and the wind comes and it takes the husks away. It blows them away because they're lighter and the grains of wheat then fall to the ground, winnowing, incidentally, being an emblem of judgment in the Bible. And then they collect up the grains of wheat and what do they do with that? They grind it, they crush it under a millstone. It becomes a dust, it becomes flour. And then what do they do with that? They make it into dough, they knead it with fists. It's beaten, it's spread out. It's put into the, the fiery heat of an oven, another emblem of judgment in the Bible. And if it's unleavened bread, which is what these guys ate as they celebrated the Passover, if it's unleavened bread, which is what Jesus and his disciples ate on Monday, Thursday, which we'll celebrate this coming week, the night that he's betrayed, as he gathers with them and he institutes the Lord's Supper, if it's unleavened bread, which is what we'll eat in a few moments by his grace, then it's pierced and it's striped. Fascinating. Sounds just like the body of Jesus. By his stripes, Isaiah says, stripes. What caused that? Scourging. Suffering. We are healed. Was pierced for our transgressions. Wounded for our iniquities. The punishment that was upon him brought us peace. This is is the work of Jesus. Who is himself the bread of life and that's what he tells these guys and through them it's what he tells us beginning in verse 32 it says then jesus said to them truly truly i say to you it was not moses who gave you the bread from heaven but my father gives you here it is the true bread from heaven for the bread of god is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world And they said to him, sir, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. And whoever believes in me shall never thirst. He's saying that there is a satisfaction for all of our appetites that is found ultimately and only and eternally in him. And as we grow in our relationship with him, we realize that he becomes our joy and he becomes our healing and he becomes our peace. He becomes the reason that we have value. He becomes our wisdom. He becomes our strength and he becomes the lover of our soul and our authentic and true companion. The only one who doesn't let us down. It's remarkable. And so I close with this, and I want you to think about it. Before you come to the table, okay? This is a reflective process. It's, it's not a we-got-to-get-there-fast moment. I want you to think about your answers to these questions. Why did you come looking for Jesus this morning? What do you hunger for? What would you really like for him to do for you if, in fact, he exists? Because all the breads of this world fail you. You go to bed full. I got it. And then you get up hungry again. And then secondly, will you leave disappointed? If instead of giving you the kind of bread that you'd really like, if you were honest, he offers you the bread of himself. Because in him, we have everything. So think about those things before you come to the table. Okay, let's pray. Our Father and our God, we thank you that there is a bread in this world in which we live that doesn't fail. We thank you for the one whose name is Jesus, who is not a common man, who is unlike any of us, for he is God-made man, come into the world to satisfy our need for love and our need for wisdom and our need for forgiveness and our need for joy, our need for peace, our need for patience. All of our needs. And I pray today that you would make his gospel, his word, the reality of of his person to come alive by faith in our own hearts, that we would see and recognize that, yeah, he, he is who he says that he is, and, and receive the bread of life that he gave his life to give. So do these things, we pray, Lord, for your glory and for the good of this, your people, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.